Good morning, church family. Um, echoing what Bill shared, well, we got together last night for a little family gathering downstairs, and it really did emphasize what it means to be a family. And just hanging out together, having fun, is part of this family structure that God gave us. And he knew we needed it, and so he put us together with a special bond, and you could feel the love that was demonstrated and shared last night. And again, you guys are my forever family. I, I, you, you energize me. I mean, there's it's it's unbelievable. There's really no other place I'd rather be than with you guys on a Sunday morning. So thank you. My voice is a little weird. Uh, I can look out uh, and see that there's probably a number of those who would normally be here that are probably at sitting at home with some sort of ailment that seems to be going around. So if that's you and on the internet listening, um, we're... You, our thoughts and prayers are with you, and just because you're not here physically, you're still part of the family, so welcome this morning, those of you that are watching online. Uh, again, I have a feeling there's probably more than normal. Um, this is the second part of a three-part Christmas series, which you might be thinking, or have been thinking, wow, Tim, this is weird, um, and maybe it is, uh, but the, the series is titled, this baby they named Jesus. And obviously, this is a time when we're celebrating that. Uh, and it's, the three-part series is, what were they expecting, which is what we talked about last time. This time it will be, um, <clears throat> who is he really? Because they were expecting something different. Last time we talked about, you know, that when he came, almost everyone missed it. Almost the entire world. Uh, there were some that didn't, that, that got it, and there was a reason for that. But by, by and large, most of the people, when Jesus, this little baby, was born in this very remote, nondescript town by some very average parents in a very humble environment, like, yeah, this is the Savior of the world? I don't think so. Because they were expecting something completely different. And unfortunately, that impaired them later on to understand what exactly was happening. So today we're going to talk about, well, let me add this before we say that. You're stuck with me. And so... <laughs> um, you get what God's been working on in me. That's it. Um, you know, I come to you and I, I want to preach the word of God because it has something to say. I have nothing to give you. Um, but God will then say, Tim, um, I'm working on you and I would like you to share this. And so that's what this message series is about. I look out and I see myself and I see our world and unfortunately I even see Christianity. And they're not getting it. Because Christianity is becoming ever more culturally irrelevant. It's countercultural. And what's, what's the impact of that? If everything that you believe is increasingly under attack, including truth itself, what's the response? Well, we can look out into Christianity and see that sometimes the response is we compromise what we believe about 
Christianity to conform to our culture. Now, I'm not accusing anybody here. Uh, I can look out in the great, vast Internet world as I follow different things in Christianity and read articles and, and see this message how Christianity is compromised within the Christian church because they're trying to be culturally relevant. Well, let me tell you this. You're going to see in a minute, Christianity is never ever going to be culturally relevant because it is anti everything that exists after the fall. Christianity, unfortunately as well, is counterintuitive, meaning it just doesn't feel right to those whose eyes have not been opened to the truth of the gospel message. That is something that God does because every essence of us as broken, unsaved people is, this does not make any sense. And so I saw that, right, and I see this process and I'm thinking, I need to stop and review myself. Are there things about this that I'm missing because I have incorrect expectations, because I am not fully educated on what it is that the truth of God is for me, or probably more common, am I just defaulting to my carnal nature? So I'm going to give you the conclusion of the sermon before I start, and then I'll circle back around and we'll see if I actually led you down the path and it made sense. We'll see. What I'm going to tell you is this. It's very, very easy for us to default to this common and carnal thinking. Paul talked about it in Romans as he's struggling with his carnality. Because let me tell you what happened in the fall. Here was God. And if you're going to use a diagram, I've used this one before. This would be God, and this would be the world, and God's space and man's space combined. And God had created man in his own image with many of the characteristics that God had, an ability to think, an ability to have emotions, an ability to connect, an ability to imagine things and create things, an ability to think abstractly about things that we don't see animals thinking about or doing. Because God created us for an intimate relationship with himself and with one another. And when the fall happened, when sin entered this world, everything about that changed. God had created us with a mind. We're going to be looking at some things in a minute that at one point before the fall, this would have been our natural way of thinking, our natural way of reacting, and now it's completely different because the fall broke everything. And so here we are, and we're celebrating this thing that happened 2,000 years ago. But what my fear is, is that we start succumbing to our culture and thinking about this, just thinking about it. Now, when held to it, most of us will say, oh yes, 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 we, we're here to put the Jesus back in Christmas. 
We talked about that last week. You know, well, what Jesus is that? You know, is it the real Jesus of the Bible or is it Jesus that you're creating or a Jesus that kind of a buffet line? Well, I'll take that part of that and I'll take a little bit of the salvation or a lot of the salvation, but a little bit of the lordship. And, and, and I don't really want to do some of this stuff. But here we are and we recognize that that's very, very common for us to be thinking carnally. So we took this concept of Christmas and we start to take the Jesus out of it, even as Christians sometimes, or even just focus on a little baby being born in Bethlehem, which is really cool, but if that's all it was, if, Jesus, if God just said, hey, okay, Jesus, I got a secret mission for you. I'm going to send you down to earth. Uh, I'm going to bring you in as a human being so no one will recognize you. And then I'd like you to kind of scout out the place and tell me if all of the reports I'm getting are as bad as I think. And then he just came and left. Well, we could celebrate, though. Oh, somewhere in that process he was revealed that, hey, this is actually God. Thanks, Jesus, for coming, and, but don't tattle on you know, me with, with God, would you? And, but no, that's not. So we, we don't want to take the Jesus birth. You cannot divide it from the entire thing. This was the beginning of the manifestation of God's plan from before the creation of the world to bring that relationship back, to reconcile those things and those people that belong to God back to himself. One, that's one, okay, to take away the penalty that we all deserve, which is damnation forever and separation from God forever. Okay, so he comes. He's going to take the punishment away, right? That's the expiation. And then he, but then he's going to restore everything. Everything. Those that belong to God are going to be restored. And, and the creation is going to go back to what it was supposed to be. And once again, we will think like God thinks. We will act like God acts. We won't be God, but we will be in that place where we can enjoy all of the benefits that God had wanted us to have when he created us in the first place. So don't just celebrate Jesus' birth and think that's really cool. You have to look at the entire package, and it comes as a package deal. Yes, Jesus came to save you from the wrath of God, but Jesus also came to restore you. And that restoration process, the saving part is instantaneous. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a one-time thing, and you are saved. But the, the restoration part takes a lifetime. And it begins here, and, and unlike the rest of everything, it doesn't appear as if God is beginning to restore the, the, the universe and the planet from the curse of the fall right now. In fact, it looks like it's getting worse. You know, we have all these things going on out in our world. Our, the, the, the unsaved people are getting worse, and, the, and the, the sinning is getting worse, and it seems like our environment is getting worse, and it's more and more anti-people all the time. It just seems like the world is attacking us. There's more fires and more floods and more hurricanes, and all of this stuff is happening. So it doesn't appear as if God is restoring the universe yet. But how many of you have read the end of the story and found out that, by golly, he is going to do that? He's going to just fix the whole thing. This is going to be rolled up like a scroll and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But right now, the restoration process is pretty much, it seems, limited to you and I. 
And, and so God begins, he says, I'm going to start when you accept my, my, my son as Savior and Lord, and I am going to save you from your sins, and you are going to be moved from an object of my wrath to an object of my love and mercy and grace, and then I'm going to start working on you from the inside out. And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is there to convict you of your sin, to open your eyes to the truth of my word, to lead you into all truth, and to conform you to the image of my Son. And he's in there, and he is relentless. And so we're going to look at the effects of this baby Jesus when he came in the bigger picture. And that's what I want you to see because I think as Christians sometimes we focus on the baby Jesus without understanding that when, when, we've, when we're going to celebrate the baby, what we really need to do is celebrate the death of the man. Because it was the death of the man that accomplished everything that matters to you and I. Death of the God-man. So, we talked last week, what were they expecting? Well, they were expecting Messiah, but not the Messiah that they got. And why was that? Because they were thinking manly thoughts instead of godly thoughts. Because they had expectations for a Messiah that was going to come and be their hero that day and, and, and take them from being persecuted and, and, and being exploited to, to being a backup on top where we should be. We're God's chosen people for crying out loud. Why are we in bondage? Why are we in slavery? Why are we being taken advantage of? God's going to put this right, and when Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow Rome, and we're going to be back on top where we should be. And what they got was something entirely different. And so let's take a look at what they got. So we see that God had this plan. And I see that people missed it for the important reason is that we don't think like God and we don't act like God. Let's take a look and see what Scripture says. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declared the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God just doesn't think like us, and in fact, what happened in the fall was when we were given this relationship with God and given a mind and a heart that desired God and desired intimacy with him and with one another, all of that was turned inward, and now we're trying to be gods of our own life. And so when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my uh, uh, actions are not your actions, what he's saying is, you guys don't think like you're supposed to anymore. You think like broken, carnal human beings who are self-centered, selfish, self-serving, and everything to do with S-E-L-F. And because of that, your eyes are closed and you can't see, react to, or know the truth. 
And so we see ourselves in this really horrible position. And, and we see in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so we understand the consequences of this man thinking, which leads us away from God, is going to result in death. And it doesn't just mean physical death, although that was one of the consequences of the fall, was that we were going to die physically. But death is a metaphor, I believe, for eternal separation from God, and that was going to be the consequence of our man thinking. And so Jesus came and he was instituting this plan and it made absolutely no sense. In fact, now there was a few people that got it, but in fact to the people that were there, to the Jews, to the world, to most of his family, to most of his followers, and the rest of the world did not get this thing they're calling Jesus. What's this all about? Because if you're here to conquer the world and put everything right, we need to talk. Because your plan is ridiculous. What are you thinking? And so what were they thinking? Man's idea of the plan was, we're expecting Messiah. Redeemer, prophet, priest, and king. How many of you ever heard that? Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Okay, we're going to get Messiah, and he's coming. And he's got this, God's got this plan to restore us back as the nation of Israel. And, and we know about prophets. They're God's people speaking God's truth, and they perform miracles. And was Jesus a prophet? Yes, he was. He was the mouthpiece for God. He came and said, I'm going to impart truth to you. Did he do miracles? Yes, he did. But did he look like any of the other prophets? I'm not so sure that wasn't the kind of prophet they were hoping for. They weren't the kind of prophet. We're going to see why. How about priest? Did they have a priest? Did they understand the priesthood? They did. But the priest wore these priestly garments, and they were ceremoniously washed, and they were clean, and they were pure, and they would stand in front of God for the people of God and offer sacrifices but they were revered, and they were holy, and they usually had a contingent of people around them, and the high priest would be the high mucky-muck, and he was up there in the politics of, of the nation of Israel, and he was revered for his position. Was Jesus the great high priest? He was. He was. Did he look like the high priest they were expecting? No. He was the exact opposite. And then they had king. Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be prophet, priest, and king. And, and did he look like a king? Did he come with a mighty army? Did he come with so, a, a, a bold look and, and a lot of intimidation and, and a lot of charisma and all the things? Well, the Bible says there was nothing about him, which we're going to read in a minute, that would draw us to him. But the two things that bothered them the most about Jesus was that he was the high priest who offered himself as the sacrifice. That's unheard of. That threw them completely for a loop. The high priest doesn't go up to the Holy of Holies and, and, and cleanse himself and go in there with a rope tied to him in case he had to, they had to pull him out dead because he did something wrong. But, but he doesn't go in there and sacrifice himself. He doesn't do that. We'd say, oh, that guy's a loser. And in fact, that's what they did say when Jesus died. 
Well, I guess we hitched our wagon to the wrong horse on this time. He's dead now. I guess we were all wrong. So when the high priest sacrificed himself and became the sacrifice, that's not what they were looking for. And the last thing that really threw him for the loop was they weren't expecting Messiah to be God. Now, if you are a Christian, you better believe that Jesus is God, because that's the only Jesus that's going to save you. But in their vernacular of the day, to say a man was like God was blasphemy, and the consequences were to stone them. And so when Jesus came, and he came the way he came, in a very humble way, when he, we examine his life and find out he is the upside-down king in the upside-down kingdom, and he was the suffering servant, instead of being revered by all, he served all, and he gave himself as the sacrifice. It completely threw them for a loop. And so what was their, again, what was their reaction? They either ignored him, rejected him, and to this day are still looking for the Messiah that will fit the mold that they were expecting. So I look at that and I say, okay, here is this Jesus. And how many of you ever heard Jesus the suffering saint or the suffering servant? Yeah, it's a pretty common theme. In fact, it's one that gets a lot of play around Christmas time. So we're going to look at that. Jesus comes, and he's ushering in this upside-down kingdom, right? What does that upside-down kingdom really look like? Well, let, me, let me give you some descriptors. Let me give you some things and say, well, does this really describe me or, 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 or not? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you for a response. But this is... This is just a, a short list of things that would say, um, this thing you guys call Christianity, man, it, it just don't make sense. It doesn't make sense with the culture. It doesn't make sense in who I am. Let's look at some things. Worldly man, carnal man, and sometimes our own carnal nature will say this, always look out for yourself. And we will look, and we're going to talk about this at the end. We will, if we were to examine our behaviors and our thought processes, we would find that most of the time we are concerned with ourselves. I'm not saying necessarily that you're, I'm concerned with myself, so I'm going to go commit this sin. I, 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 I'm tempted, and I want to gratify, so I'm going to go sin. I'm just saying... Do we really give thought to the concern of others 99% of the time? Because Christianity and Jesus said the first should be last and the last should be first. And that is so countercultural right now. That is so counterintuitive to our carnal nature that says, what are you kidding me? I got to be thinking about others. Well, who's going to take care of me? carnal man says, find others who will serve you. Jesus said, the greatest, if you would like to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. Let others look out for themselves, we say, in our carnal nature. 
In this upside-down kingdom says, put others before yourself. Look after them. We say as carnal man, punish your enemies. And this upside-down kingdom says, love your enemies. We say, perception is what's important. How do people view me and, and, and I'm giving an image that I really like? And Jesus says, it's about your motives. It's about your heart. We say, you must prevail over others in order to win in this life. And Jesus comes and starts telling them the message that if you want to really come out on top, you must surrender. We say, we think, we do, that self-promotion is the main goal, and, and we have to, how can I improve my lot in life? How can I move myself forward in this plan that I have to find success? And Jesus said, humility is the pathway to success. Humility is the pathway to success in Christianity. That message doesn't sell well. Um, that's not a message that people like to hear. And so we hear another message. God wants you to be all you can be. God wants you to rise to the top. God wants you to be wealthy and have all of the things of this world. And people buy it because it doesn't make sense in our carnal nature. We say in our carnal selves, love others, but only if they return it. And Jesus says, love others sacrificially. doesn't make any difference whether they love you back. We say in our carnal nature, get what you want and go after it and get it now. Grab for all you can. You only get one chance in life. Reach out there and take everything that's yours. And Jesus came with the message of be patient. Let God determine your life. We say, avoid pain at all costs and grieve all of your hardships. And Jesus comes with the message of find joy in your trials because they're doing a work in you. We say, be serving yourself all the time. Jesus came with the upside down message of die to yourself. In fact, God's goal in your life is to kill you. Not just silence you, not just stuff you down towards the bottom. He wants to kill the old you so that he can enhance the new you. And in order to do that, you have to die to self. I have to die to self. That is not a popular message. That is not a message that resonates within my carnal self. Every being, every cell of my being is saying, no, that doesn't make sense. Jesus, why are you asking me to do these crazy things? How am I going to get what I need out of this life? We say in our carnalness, do what works. This one, this one might be the buzzword of our society. Do what works, whether it's right or not. Expediency. We see it everywhere we look. We see it on the internet when we read people saying, doing things. Well, why'd you do that? Well, 
got the result I wanted. B- but it was wrong. No. The result validated the response. Or the, the result uh, validated the methods I used. So I got what I wanted, so it must have been right because I got the conclusion I wanted. And Christianity says completely the opposite. You do what's right. You do what's true. And it doesn't make any difference what the consequences are because the outcome belongs to God. And so here we are, and we see this upside-down message that goes against everything in our culture, and it goes against everything inherent in our carnal being, and nothing seems to make sense because there's man thinking and there's God thinking. And it's very easy as a default, to end up with man thinking. So who was this Jesus? The most supreme creator of everything that spoke the world into existence, that is in charge and in control of everything there is, humbled himself, came down, lived the perfect life, fulfilled the old covenant by being the second Adam and being absolutely perfectly obedient to God, completely humbling himself, not only in his death but in his life as well, sacrificed himself and became the suffering servant. So let's read about that in Isaiah 53. This is where i got to get up to there. So right there, I'll read through Isaiah 53. The problem I have with this is I'm not tall enough to see over this thing to actually see what's on there. (laughs) All right, so Isaiah 53.1, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should even desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came as the suffering servant. He did it because God's plan would be different than any plan that we came up with. He humbled himself. And because of that, we get those things that I mentioned at the beginning. We get to escape the penalty we deserved. But we also get to be restored. So I'm going to say the problem that we have is that when we are in this restoration process, it doesn't make sense. Jesus came... And was rejected, was ridiculed, was given no respect. He was punished unfairly for something other people did. He died 
for our sins, and yet we hated him. And yet, by his wounds, we're healed. That was the suffering servant. So here is actually the point of my message about who was this Jesus. We understand he's the Savior. We love that. We all want the salvation part. We understand he's the Messiah, but we also have to recognize that he's the Lord. But God's way is not our way. However, that was Jesus' first time. He's coming back, and he's going to be everything we expect. He's going to come back, and the heavens are going to split open in a, in a host of angels with a light that shines around, and everybody on earth, it says in Philippians chapter 2, is going to recognize that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's all going to be set right. But right now, it still seems like we're upside down. But Jesus came to save us, but Jesus came to allow us to be part of and be partakers in the upside-down kingdom, which God is saying, whether we like the message or not, you get to be a suffering servant. Now, hold on, Tim. That, that, I, I just don't get that. I, I, I don't get that. What do, you, what, what do you mean I get to be a suffering servant? So if we go back to the list of all the things that we, we think carnally, and we think, ah, oh, you know, this, here's, this, here's what really works in life, Tim, and here's this Christianity list over here that oh, it sounds good and everything, but that ain't ever going to work. I'm never going to get what I want. I'm never going to find happiness. I'm never going to be fulfilled. I'm never going to get all the goals I want satisfied. I'm never going to find true joy here if I follow that stupid list you gave me over there where I'm always serving other people, when I'm always looking after other people's needs, when I, when I sacrifice myself. That's never going to get me anywhere. And that's man thinking. Because God says you get to be the suffering servant for joy now and for joy later. I almost am obsessed by this passage in 1 Peter. Um, as I have come through, and I shared this with you probably before, 2022 has been one of, if not the, although it has some really stiff competition, um, one of the worst years of my life as far as trials. And it's been exceedingly difficult. And so as God was leading me toward the joy he promised, he gave me as a gift 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. Let me share those with you, and hopefully you can see it yourself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. He caused me to be born again. I didn't do it. And I was born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that paid my sin penalty. And I was raised from the dead like Christ into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for me that no one can take away. 
and who by God's power I am being guarded through faith for the salvation that's waiting to be revealed at the last time. That's true, people. That is true. All of those things that God has in store for me are true, and nobody can change it. And so he says this, in this, meaning those things that I just read, in this you rejoice. In this you are the suffering servant. Because he goes on to say that for even though now for a little while, if necessary... And in my case, it was necessary because God works all things together for good because God says, Give, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be complete and mature, lacking in nothing. I wasn't complete and I wasn't mature. And God gave me the blessing of some really difficult trials. I wasn't finding much joy in the midst of it. But then God gave me this gift right here that said, um, so that the testing of your faith and your genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, although it's being tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. See, Jesus was the suffering servant. And this is what it said in Philippians chapter 2. Because of that, because of your suffering servanthood, because of your unselfishness, because of your humility, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said, I am the suffering servant, but I am going to be exalted. But he also promises this. You now, in this broken world that you don't really belong in, can be a suffering servant. But here is the end of that. So that in the end, it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. So I look at the message of Christmas And I recognize that God has instituted this nonsensical, according to us, upside-down plan for restoring me in this life. It's painful, but it works. And living that upside-down view of my own carnal nature and upside-down view of my culture is a gift from God. It's the best place to be. We don't, it doesn't make sense. How can I find joy when I'm focused on others all the time? How can I find satisfaction if all I'm doing is, is working and serving others? Try it. You'll find out that that is God's gift to you, not a curse upon you. But what it really takes is intentionality, and that would be my word for the day. Because... Here's what my life is like, and maybe it's like you. Earlier on in my driving career, I'm 64, so it's like way earlier in my driving career, back when I first got behind the wheel, I hit a curb really hard on the right-hand side, and it bent the tie rod on my car, and my right-hand tire was like this. And so when I took my hands off the wheel, it pulled left really hard. That's what our life is like. Because we are not yet fully restored. 
And Paul talks about this battle that's going on inside of us. I want to do what's right, but yet I constantly default to the old nature. And it's not me, it's the sin that lives within me. And, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Because intentionality is key. Because if we just live our life and take our hands off the wheel, we are going to go left hard all the time. We have to have our hands on the wheel all the time, meaning I have to keep in my mind, am I living the carnal self or am I living the nonsensical, upside-down Jesus self that's in me? The temptations are always there. It says, and again, you guys will laugh at me, Romans 12, 2, no longer conform to this carnal nature that the rest of the world and your culture has, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because what you think is what you do is who you are is how you behave. And so we have to intentionally go to the Word of God and say, I'm not just reading this to have fun. I'm not just reading this to check a box. I am reading God's Word expecting life transformation by the truth of God through His Holy Spirit. Okay, I can pick up my Bible and read it and just say, okay, I read my, I did my 15 or 20 minutes for the day, but I need to go to the Word of God expecting and wanting to be transformed by it. It has to be intentional. You have to go to God in prayer and say, intentionally, God, I understand. I am not doing this right. I need your help every step of the way, every minute of the day. I'm tempted to do the carnal thing, and I want to do the God thing, but it just doesn't make sense, so you need to help me. Surrender is the key to victory. Let's pray. Dear Father, this is it's a hard one. This is a hard one. We are very stubborn. And our sin nature in us is horribly stubborn. And we celebrate the coming of your Messiah at Christmas, and then we miss what he did after he came. We don't miss it as far as we don't know about it, but its effect on us is not happening because we are not intentional. And we are not allowing your Holy Spirit to work and transform us. Most of the time, I find myself waiting for that horrible trial to do the job that could have been done if I just surrendered. Father, help me to learn not the hard way, but the easy way, and I pray that for everyone, all of my family members, that, Lord, we would come to you, surrender our lives at the foot of your cross, and live the upside-down life to glorify you and for our benefit. And I just ask this and praise you in advance for how you have been working in my life and in the life of my church family and how you will continue to work. And so we bless you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.